Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Bizarre Conspiracies. My name is Eric Patino and today I'm joined by Conrad Toll. Today we're going to be taking a look at Flight 980. Now this was brought to my attention by Conrad because he said, what's better than a uh, mysterious flight that went down with a bunch of cocaine in it? (laughs) (laughs) And guys, that is a very good summary. Yeah. Um, I also found out, I don't know if, I'm sure you did, uh, there there was a lot more contraband to this flight. Apparently they had illegal gator skins on there. Yeah, I think um, caiman to be exact, but you mm-hmm. know, I mean, what's the difference? Alligator, crocodile, right, caiman. Right. Big reptile that swims reptile in the water. Reptile skin. And this is a bit of a... <sighs> Another uh, mystery airline that kind of uh, went down, like the, uh, what was it? Flight, uh, I'm drawing a blank here. The one we did. Seven very- something, wasn't it? Uh, the one in, oh man. 720? <laughs> Well, either way, we had recently done uh, a flight that had went down, and this one is just as mysterious because it had 29 passengers on there, and they weren't found. There was no blood mm-hmm. found either. Yeah, um, so it was Malaysia Airlines uh, 370 was the other one. 370. And yeah. Uh, yeah, so this one is quite interesting. Yeah. And so the, the thing is, it crashed in the mountains in South America, so I believe those are called the Andy Mountains, that mountain range down down there and in Bolivia and it crashed several miles off of um, path there was no distress calls given no indication that something was wrong and and it plowed right into a mountain was this correct me if I'm wrong but didn't one of the last calls from the pilot say he had to change a uh, direction or no, like path he, path pattern or something he was uh, beginning descent but when you start a descent in an airplane from I think it was 20 20,000 feet mm-hmm. and he was I, I don't remember exactly where they were landing but it wasn't at sea level by any means it was a very high uh, airport in elevation but as you begin your descent you know you start that thing miles back as you start going down uh, thousands of feet and they cleared him to start his descent down to 18,000 feet mm-hmm. so he was the last uh, conversation was he was going to descend to 2,000 feet well I got an article here that I just want to read the first couple of paragraphs just to get us started off on the basic story or the beginning of the story and then we can kind of go from there so on New Year's Day in 1985, Eastern Airlines Flight 980 was carrying 29 passengers and a hell of a lot of contraband when it crashed into the, in, into the side of a 21,112-foot mountain in Bolivia. For decades, conspiracy theories abandoned the wreckage remains 
inaccessible, uh, the bodies unrecovered, the black box missing, then two friends from Boston organized an expedition that would blow the case wide open. By the time it crashed, Eastern Airlines Flight 980 would have been uh, just ready to land. Beverage carts, uh, back seats upright, tray tables locked, the 29 people on board would have just heard the engines change pitch and felt the nose uh, dip slightly, seatbelts struggling, uh, tugging, sorry, at their stomachs. One imagines a focused cockpit uh, pilot, Larry Campbell, was responsible for the safety of everyone on the flight, and this was just the second landing in Bolivia's uh, city of La Paz. Co-pilot Ken Rhodes was a straightforward military man, especially, well, no foolishness, especially when descending through a mountain, uh, mountain valley in bad weather. Sitting behind both, fighter engine Mark Bird was a retired fighter jock in the Air Force. He was known for buzzing the tower and other high drinks, uh, but he joined Miami base Easterns uh, only for a few months before, and during the tricky approach in the middle of a, a thunderstorm would not have been the moment to chime in. On January 1st, 1985, the mostly empty Boeing 727 Boeing was headed to Asunca? Is that how you say it? Asunca, Paraguay? To Miami with stopovers in Bolivia and um, Ecuador. Landing in La Paz was always difficult. Ground control there was uh, had no radar and navigational equipment. They didn't have navigational equipment and they did uh, have a spotty so-called uh, reliable... Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm screwing all of this up. They had no radar and what navigational equipment they did have was spotty. Okay, so they relied on the cockpit crew to track their own position. So, it sounds like from the very beginning, this was kind of a setup to fail. And if I remember correctly, the crew that they had for this flight, all, and I'm talking about the entire crew, had only been with Eastern Airlines for about a month or to and their training i found out was all done through video video training hmm. now i would say that they definitely have certain navigational equipment but like the what this says that they have spotty navigational equipment was they had um the way that it would work is their airplane would send off a beacon and mm. then um they would get a report back where other things tracking that beacon would tell them where it last saw the beacon. So it was kind of like them, they were sending out a signal and then somebody else was tracking them and then telling them where they were by that. Mm. Um, however, that can be uh, a little sketchy. It's, it's not sketchy. It can be a little off, but not as much off as the, the course that they actually were. But, it, you know, it wasn't the best equipment by any means, and you have to rely on some other um, equipment to be using it. But it's not like what they had was unheard of. It's not like uh, mm -hmm. people faulting them saying that they should have had better equipment because, I mean, after all, this was, what, the 70s, the 80s? The 80s. 1985. <laughs> So I don't know. Things maybe have changed a little bit in the past right. 35 years. Well, obviously they have. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, right. Um, it's not like it was too ridiculous of a claim. It's not like people have come out since being like, well, they should have had better things uh, because planes have flown that route quite successfully many, many times without crashing that same mm -hmm. path. So eh, I wouldn't I wouldn't personally <laughs> – 
<laughs> it makes you want when you fly to like um okay question uh, i have a few questions about this plane's uh, navigational gear before i get on <laughs> like next time before i buy an airplane ticket i'll you know maybe do a review which one of these people actually have an onboard navigational computer radar thingy <laughs> How how is the flight backup gear on this plane? Just just want to know before I get aboard. Well, I've never been on a plane, so well that makes two of us. <laughs> <laughs> I think the day I finally do get on a plane, I will be nervous as hell. I probably will sleep the most of the time, even if uh, I don't know particular bad turbulence wakes you up and murder, murder, we're going down, murder, murder, and just all these sirens go off. Well, I wouldn't know that that was out of the ordinary. I mean, like. <laughs> So this is common. So like how how um how do you generally block out the screaming of the other passengers when you try to sleep? Can I get a glass of wine, please? Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that w- that would be me. Maybe. <laughs> uh, that definitely would be me. Um, I would be toasty upon landing or <laughs> crash site. I don't know. It depends on how good or bad it goes. Oh, that w- that would be perfect. So, Mr. Patino, don't you uh, do you have anything to say about the sketchy crashing uh, on the plane? Was there terrorists aboard the plane? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I was uh, a little marinated at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember the crash too well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember turning to the fellow next to me being like that was pretty bumpy and then I realized he was missing his face right oh planes planes scared me and I and I think and it's not because of all the stories that we've heard uh, that could go wrong and have gone wrong before Mm -hmm. it's just you're 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 in a a metal tube right you're in a tin can flying in the sky with a bunch of other people when literally anything could go wrong at any given time it doesn't Without matter a parachute. how uh, yeah well i mean if you're db cooper you might have one with bigfoot <laughs> waiting down there right <laughs> but planes planes uh this just make me nervous just thinking about them and and this one this one did too because this flight hit nose first when it descended Mm-hmm. and crashed that would have killed the pilots instantly i would imagine it would have snapped something towards the back right i haven't seen pictures of this other than scattered debris which we'll get into eventually uh, i did see a few pictures and, and i believe that the tail end of the plane was mostly intact and but but, uh, but the, okay, the reason so why you don't see very why, many pictures of it is because right. it was mostly under snow so you can't really see most of the plane in the pictures. Isn't the tail of the plane where they keep the black box? It is. If that was intact, why was there no black box? That is a good question, Eric. I don't know. <laughs> in any case, there was scattered debris. And um, what was the name of this? Let me see. Elam. Ilum, Ilumani? Is that the name of the mountain? Ilumani? It looks like Illuminati. <laughs> 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 Mm, sketchy name there. Uh, Mount Ilmanat. No, Ilmani. I think it's Ilmani. Yeah, I think I think it's Ilmani too. Mount Ilmani. Uh, yeah, this is where the plane crash uh, in Bolivia, and it, it's pretty weird that no one, uh, you know, government-wise, did not want to send a crew to retrieve anything from this flight. Yeah, it wasn't Bolivia. It wasn't um, what's it called? The N. I uh, the, the 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 federal the U.S. federal NITBS? group that 
No, yeah, it was something it. like that. <laughs> so uh, NTBS. NTBS. There you go. It's the National Transportation Safety Board, and they are um, the U.S. government of investigation agency responsible for civil transportation accident investigations. Right. They didn't want, at least initially, yeah. to send a, a crew over there to investigate. The Bolivians didn't want to do it, and I believe one other country didn't want to do it, and I forget who that was. Paraguay, I think. Paraguay. <laughs> and I think one between uh, Paraguay and Bolivia, I think they didn't want to do it because they didn't want to know that they had a better plane than the other country did? Yeah, so the thing is, helicopters can't hover at uh, their highest altitude. Uh, helicopters have like a, a surface um, uh, ceiling of, like, I think, just a bit higher than the, the mountain's height itself. But most helicopters can't hover, well, all helicopters can't hover at their, their maximum ceiling altitude. And um, so, and not even all helicopters can fly up that high. So the original idea was they were going to fly a helicopter up there and land it and, and let people off. But they scrapped that idea because they couldn't get a helicopter that could hover that high. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the uh, Bolivians couldn't even fly a helicopter that high to start with. They didn't have a helicopter that had a, a ceiling that could go up to high. But the Paragu- Paraguay, what do you call the people that are from Paraguay? Paraguanesians? <laughs> I don't know. The Paraguanesian helicopter could, and they turned it down because jealousy. But I don't think that that actually had much to do with it at all. Now, no, it is, I, I it think is, it had to do with what's on that flight. Yeah, I think that's at least part of it. But this is like a lot of coincidental stuff that happens. Right, right. <clears throat> so the, the this is the only flight that has not been um, well searched after, like uh, flight 370. There was lots and lots of resources expended into searching. Oh, different organizations went and did uh, their own investigations for this. Yeah. And it wasn't just when it happened. It was for a couple years. Yeah. And there there were so many thorough investigations that happened. And and then you switch to this flight and it's like, well, we sort of thought about going up there, but then it snowed and then we didn't want to go anymore. That was like the (laughs) full extent of the Bolivian government. Right. And then when it comes to the NTBS, they were like, well, we'll let the Bolivians handle it. Well, no, we're letting the Bolivians handle it. Okay, fine, we'll go, but we're not going to really go. And then, okay, that was good enough. We we made an effort. But like the Bolivian government, after like two different expeditions had already gone up there, private expeditions, because there was uh, a few different people that went up there on their own. And I think one of them was like a fellow who was a co-pilot and he was assigned to fly on that one. Like he was going to be on that plane. Right, but then, right. For some reason, he wasn't on that plane, and like he so he almost died, and like he went up there on his own time, on his own dime. Oh, I think I actually I think found he- out who that was. So let's see. Two months after the crash in March 1985, a private expedition of Bolivian alpinists, commissioned by Ray Valdez, an Eastern Flights engineer who would have been on board if he hadn't swapped shifts, successfully navigated the uh, treacher- uh, treacherous uh, mix of rock and ice small team encountered wreckage and luggage but they could not locate the plane's black box stranger than that no bodies were found at the crash or blood Mm -hmm. so yeah and and there had been like 
one of the widows of one of the the guys who crashed up there. She went up there, and I think there was another expedition that went up there. And then finally, there was the NTBS that were forced to go up there. And then there was another expedition shortly after that, and they was left alone for a long time. Like after like a few expeditions had already gone up there, the Bolivian government declared the area as inaccessible. And <laughs> right, right. Uh, one thing I want to add though before we move on. Uh, for from the expeditions from a couple of these teams. Um, one of them went to the first campsite. When they made it to the first campsite, I, I believe half was- the team uh, got sick or... Yeah, I think they got sick because they couldn't uh, acclimate to the, the conditions that were there. Mm-hmm. And when, the, when they asked for assistance from the Bolivian government, I believe they sent them packets of Kool-Aid and jeans. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> it was the Red Cross and that was Red the Cross. NTBS's... Okay. Okay, um, right. That was the NTBS's um, particular... Um, expedition and that one was planned for failure so first off they weren't given a very they were given a three-day heads up which means they weren't allowed to acclimate which means that if you can't acclimate when you're starting a mountain climb that, that is like deliberately sabotaging them mm-hmm. then they only gave them funds of six hundred dollars for a seven-man mm-hmm. team mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then they sent them there and then the red cross which is supposed to be helping them out did more to hurt them than it did help them <laughs> if they asked for they asked for equipment and fuel. Right. And instead of fuel, they got Kool-Aid. <laughs> Not even like liquid Kool-Aid, mixed powdered Kool-Aid. Yeah. And I think it was like two gallons worth. <laughs> and a pair of jeans. That's funny. And if you've ever done any sort of cold outside work, like in the winter, and I'm a Texan and I know this, if you're going to be working outside in the cold, you drink plenty of fluids as weird as it seems, like I would go through a gallon of Kool-Aid in a day if it were, if I was working out in the snow. And they're on a mountainside, there's seven of them, and you give them two gallons of Kool-Aid. We only have enough for one person here. Yeah, that one was deliberately meant to fail. And despite all of that, Deliberate three sabotage. of them... Yeah, that one... That, the three, three of them still made it. Yeah. And, but they couldn't and, find anything. Could not find anything. And they, what did, you were saying, they did find one thing, though. They were able to explore the tail end of the plane, and they found the area where the black box would have sat, but it wasn't there. It was gone. Exactly. And this is where I wanted to like intervene a little bit. One Bolivian climber, uh, his name is Bernardo Gucarachi. Apparently made it up to the wreckage on foot two days after the crash, but then said almost nothing about his findings when the Bolivian government filed an official but uh, inconclusive report a year later. This uh, Bernardo guy wasn't named in it, so it's pretty <laughs> so unclear guy, who sent him there in the first place. The, the mountain climber Bernardo fella, he had been to, I think, almost every single climb up the mountain like every expedition that we've talked about he was one of the people on it that right guy and i think he he went with the uh grieving widow mm. he went with the first group and i'm pretty sure he went with the tnsb and then he went with the one that happened many many years later ntsb yeah uh this this is just a uh disaster so of a i don't know quite what to make of that fella um he says that he was threatened by people not to talk. So like, the question is, is he in on the group? Is he like the people who are like, no, 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 no one's exploring that that organization. Is he like part of them? And they're like, okay, keep it on the down low. Or is he not part of the group? And then he's just been forced into silence, one of the two. I think he, I think he knows exactly 
probably one of the only ones that knows exactly what happened, and he's probably the one who found the black box. If Another he, thing if he is, was the first one to arrive two days after the crash site by himself and deliberately left out of these reports, I think he knows exactly what happens. So then, well, I have another theory about the black box, and this one's definitely on the crazier side. Um, but um, he was saying that um, uh, somebody came, uh, the, the Bernardi, Bernardi fella, mm-hmm. uh, he said that people followed them because when you ascend a mountain, you go up several days at a time. It takes, I think it took, would take him three days to climb that mountain. Uh, and he said at the second mountain, um, resting point there there had been foot tracks that had walked up to that point right so there was already tracks so people had were following him but didn't go all the way to the top is what he said so i don't exactly know to trust his um record or not myself personally i don't i don't trust that so if you're not trusting what he's saying, then that leaves a whole different thing. Is he trying to, um, I don't know, what would that be, deflect attention away from him to like maybe there's other shady groups? or is I think that just, was the intent. Or, or two, did he see a ton of other tracks and he's trying to like minimize it and like saying, well, you know, so-and-so saw other tracks, but those ones, they didn't go all the way to the top sort of thing. I think it's the first one, personally. So you think he made up the story about the tracks? I think so. He had to be the first one there. So it, it, so there's like a lot of weird things. First off, um, the Bernardi fellow being uh, threatened. No government um, inspection. Cocaine. Mm. Lots of cocaine. Lots of cocaine. Uh, uh, the, the the reptile skins were poached and, you know, they were obviously being smuggled for um, right, trans- right. transportation for selling on the illicit markets. Uh, then there was uh, one other, other thing that was kind of weird. No bodies were found. Mm-hmm. No bodies were found. So you've got all these five really weird and then they crashed for an unknown reason. Right, right. So, right. Why did they crash, and where did these passengers go? Where did all 29 passengers go? Well, it, some of them did die, because later, do you want to do the 30-year skip? Are <laughs> uh, you talking about with the two guys from Boston? Yeah. Uh, I'd say we can do that after the break. All right. That'd be a nice... Uh, but, yeah, it's really weird. Um, so, that... <sighs> I mean, without jumping forward, that to me sounds like it was kind of a, a stage crash. Like they wanted it to go down. Mm-hmm. There was also a lot of important individuals on board. There was, and I, if I remember correctly, there was a wife of a an, a, ambassador of an ambassador, was, right? Who he himself was going to be on that plane, but he changed, and his wife uh, still went on ahead without him. Uh, and then there was uh, a, a rich family from paraguay that was on that one mm-hmm. uh, i think there was also a a peace corps member on that plane and there was only 17 people aboard the entire plane it was mostly empty right right so you have three or four maybe more very important people out of what 17 people yeah kind of a unusually unusual group yeah well i guess uh We'll leave it there for this half of the show for people to kind of uh, mull over on that. 
pretty unusual stuff there. So when we come back from the break, we'll get into uh, the two two roommates, I believe they are, from Boston, who decided to do their own investigation about this. I think they even did like a GoFundMe or something like that. They did. They did a yeah. go. They did a GoFundMe for the family. I think the families. No, no, that was a different group. That, that was, was a, different, a different group. I think they did that. One that for, other group for uh, equipment. So they could get up there. Yeah. There was a different group that when they were, um, they went up there to film the wreckage and to put it together into a film that was going to be a fundraiser to help the families that had lost people in the crash. That film was then the Bolivian government said, we will fill your fundraiser. You just don't release that film. Interesting. I didn't hear that. Yeah. So that film has never been released. Ooh. What do you think's on it? Uh, the crash site. Filming of the crash site. But I mean, why do you why do you think they want to keep that a secret? Do you think it, it reveals something? Well, we'll have to get into the theories of that <laughs> after we talk about the uh, roommates from Boston. Uh, yep. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to Bizarre Conspiracies. And we're back from the break. And we're, so we're going to get into, at this point, uh, the 30-year jump. jump. I believe this was in 2016, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was 2016 because they investigated the findings in 2017. So these two roommates from Boston, which I have their names here. Let me see. Dan Fertel? I'm assuming. Dan Fertel and Isaac Stoner. Uh, two friends who went on a mission to discover something about the wreckage, right? And mm-hmm. what did they find, Connor? Well, first off, they found some body part. Uh, oh, I don't know. They found body parts. Jeez. Yeah, they found some bits of a spine and one uh, femur. Interesting. Do you think that... How does that even happen? So, like, when the plane crashed, did the bodies just explode? Well, the thing is they were scouring... Because this has been several, several years. Right. Okay, right. So, who knows what could have happened between them. Okay. um, And they were not looking at the crash site itself. They had done a a little calculation. It was a thousand feet below, right? Yeah, and they were scouring the area below the crash site to find things that had slid down the hill. So what you're looking at, like if there was a full body, it probably wouldn't slide down the hill. The only thing that would come down the hill, mountain, mountain, what am I saying? (laughs) The only thing that would come down the hill is bits and bobs, right? So you're not going to find like huge chunks of the airplane that slid down the mountain. You're going to find little bits that have been carried away by erosion. So so that's why they were finding uh, pieces of uh, the bodies and that sort of thing. So it's... It's it's not so that leads the question. Does that mean that all the bodies were there? Because uh, what are the odds they would find if there was one body that they would find that one body? Mm-hmm. So does that mean that there's probably one of the things. If you see one body, that means that there's ten more. Not necessarily. Or, or does it mean that they're just really good at what they do? Maybe. Yeah, I think yeah. quite possibly that they. So I'm not to get too much into one of my theories, <laughs> but I don't think that there was very many bodies on that hill mountain. <laughs> oh, it was a steep hill. <laughs> so yeah, that's incredible. I know they found part of the black box, right? They found part of the black box, and it was for sure part of the black box. It had the writing on it, and uh, it said uh, it had the initials that meant um, it, it was indicating what is inside, and it said um, 
C something 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 <laughs> four letters which which stood for the communications that happened between the pilot so it meant this right here is the recording of the pilot speaking to one another inside the cockpit because when you're in a cockpit and you're just sitting there talking back and forth to your co-pilot all of that is picked up in your headset and is recorded in the black box uh, and then they found a what do they call that magnetic tape uh, the reels of tape and then they found one more thing. Um, well, besides parts of the airplane, they found uh, letters that the widow had taken up to the crash site and left. So she had taken um, letters that she had written to her husband and that he had written to her over the years. And when she went up the mountainside, she left them up there. Uh, so they found that. Uh, I'm thinking that there was some other part of the crash the thing that they found. Well, uh, this article that I have here says... They found among, caiman, caiman skins as well. Oh, okay. Right, right, because that was part of the contraband. It says, among the plane parts were six pieces of the black box, which were orange, and they found their holy grail. Part of the voice recording stuck in the ice, and uh, when they brought it back to the U.S., the Fed's first response was not what they expected it to be. They said you... Uh, efficiently violated international law. We <laughs> advise you to send it back to Bolivia. But uh, I believe they kept it, right? Because... No, they turned it over to the U.S. federal government uh, in some form or fashion. I forget which one, but they did turn it over to the government and the government then got permission from the Bolivian government uh, after a year to investigate uh, the evidence that had been given to them. So for the year that it sat there after it had been brought to them, because the two guys who brought the stuff back in the crash site did not turn it over to the Bolivian government because they expected it not to be um, taken care of. They expected them to conveniently lose all the evidence. So they took it back without even reporting it to the Bolivian government. Uh, and then the U.S. government sat on it for a year while they waited for permission from the Bolivian government. The Bolivian government gave it and then they inspected it. They inspected it, but the NTBS did not comment on what they found. Uh, no, they said that the recordings were not actually uh, from the black box. And do you believe that? No. <laughs> I believe that those were what they said is that these are recordings from the TV show uh, I Spy. Right, it was, right. It was a Spanish dubbed version of the TV recording. And it was uh, an old TV show that ran in the 60s. And this, So what they're saying is this airplane crash that had 17 people on it were carrying a Spanish dub of a TV show that happened in the 60s, 20 years prior, and they have it not on any... They have it on... And that happened to be found alongside black box pieces. Black box pieces. And it's just, no, no, no. Doesn't no, make no. sense. That that I don't think anybody is taking that sort of thing on an airplane. Who's like, I'm going to take a movie. Uh, that just boggles me. You have <laughs> limited space that you're going to be taking on an airplane. Who has? Uh, it's dumb. So I think we said all the uh, the main uh, points to this. Um, this uh, plane that crashed. Let's get into some of the theories. Okay. So, so one the of the... Oh, well, you can go ahead. Uh, all right. So my first theory has to address what I think is the craziest thing. No bodies were found for a long time, except the bodies down the hill. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, you, you find the cocaine. You find the, the caiman skins. You find all of these things. You find the seat belts inside the plane. But you... 
don't find passengers who would have been buckled in by those seat belts. That that makes no sense at all. Uh, a lot of the, the the explanations for that is like, well, if the plane's traveling at this fast and it comes into a complete and utter stop into the side of the mountain, like it runs into a wall and smashes and it explodes, then obviously it would just shred the humans to pieces. All right. Assuming that that was the case, you would at least find something like a shoe with a foot still in it or something. Because that is like the most armored, generally, that is the most armored part of your body in your ordinary gear is your shoes, your feet. So, and shoes were found, empty shoes. So like if the shoe survives a plane crash, but you're saying if you put a foot inside of a shoe, then it automatically just disintegrate. No, no, I ain't buying that. Not for a minute. Yeah, I don't buy that either. That also leads me to my, so my main theory is people survived the crash, the initial crash. So if that's the case, that means that they did not slam into the mountain as hard as like a direct, direct, abrupt crash. That would mean that they landed in a controlled fashion, a semi-controlled fashion at least. To, to stretch out the, the smash. So what that means is it wasn't just a, oh, they went off course and wandered into a mountain and were shocked. No, that means that they had um, warning of some kind. That means that they had engine failure of some type. But the plane itself was still severely damaged. So how would you have a plane that was very damaged and yet still landed and crashed uh, in a semi-crash thing and then also didn't give out any warnings? That means that they had would have to have a sudden and catastrophic plane failure, an explosion. I, my theory is plane had an explosion on board and the they had a crash landing shortly after and that there were some survivors. And these survivors may have even done something which a lot of people do, and that is you bury the dead. So I'm imagining that these, okay. these people crashed into the plane, they crashed the plane, and took the dead out and buried it and then tried to survive out into the cold. But why weren't they found? Well, because they, they weren't at the crash site. Do you think they successfully escaped well, down the no. mountain? No, I don't. If they did, then they were captured. Captured by Bolivian government? <laughs> yeah. And that they were, they'd still be prisoners somewhere. Or number two, well, that, that, that's a, a even more far-fetched theory. Um, but the, there, there has to be some reason why the bodies weren't found. And I don't think that having the bodies were like uh, an important piece of evidence that needed to be taken away. So like if there was like some sort of a reason, nefarious reason that the government is trying to keep this crash under wraps and that sort of thing, then the whole plane itself is evidence they need to get rid of. Just getting rid of the, the um, just getting rid of <laughs> the bodies doesn't do anything at all. People still know that there was a plane crash. <laughs> you know, it, it does absolutely nothing to get rid of the bodies. So the main thing about my theory is not actually what happened to the people. It's just that the, the fact that they weren't there on the crash means that something else they weren't there at the crash site i mean if the whole tail end of the plane survived you would have uh, at least some part someone in the back of the plane body would still be there so my theory goes like this people left the plane later somebody came up went into the plane because the fella who went and investigated the plane found the area where the black box was supposed to be intact 
But the black box itself was found later smashed on the side of the mountainside. That means that somebody went up there, removed the black box, and then proceeded to try and destroy it. But they didn't bring it back down the mountain, which is understandable. If you're climbing up and down a mountain, a black box is like 300, 400 pounds. (laughs) (laughs) No way are you going to be carrying that down the side of a mountain. Right. Well, I don't know if it's that heavy, but it's made out of metal and it was like three different parts of it. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty heavy. Depending on which one it is. Um, so... But aren't they supposed to make that pretty close to indestructible? Yeah. So that when there is a crash, it's not in pieces? Uh, yes, they are. That's the that's the whole theory behind the black box. Um, but the, the problem with a, a, that is there's multiple kinds of black boxes. Not all black boxes are made equal. So some of them are actually made out of aluminum. Some of them are made out of titanium. So it really depends. Um, believe that theirs was a weaker type of black box. But that still doesn't mean that it should be smashed up when the aluminum um, hole of the back of the plane where it sits is still intact. And the right, black box right. found magically down the mountain in little bitty pieces. So what that means is if the plane exploded, which is my first theory, that's not what happened to the people is not my th- um, big theory. It's just like my hint to the the um, plane exploding. And there's been a few different theories ex- of it actually exploding. So th- that would then bring you to the next question is who has the motive of this crime? Because to every crime, there must be the motive. Sure. So, I was going to ask, who do you think wanted that plane down? I don't think it was the Bolivia. So there, there's a few different... Um, well, obviously, they were the ones who were transporting the drugs. Like that there is most certainly a fact. I don't know if we brought this up, but like the, the transportation of drugs that uh, being transported on the airlines the airlines were in on that and the bolivian government is kind of implicit and for sure the airlines have been tracked to other scandals uh, scandals where they would transport in um like 300 kilos of cocaine a day or like a regular regular schedule um so they have no motive so the theory is that the drugs were being used um in so do you remember uh, ronald reagan had a illicit weapons deal that he would he was known for in his second term so in his second term he lost the the republicans lost control of the senate i think it was maybe the house and the senate but they lost control over um at least the senate i believe and they were stonewalling uh him and he couldn't get a lot of what he wanted to do so he started doing a bunch of illegal things and one of them was he was doing an arms trade to some group in the middle east and he was using the cia to funnel weapons in an illegal fashion and people think that this drugs was like um in part of the same ring that was funneling guns and that sort of thing out so it was like um it, it was part of the chain of which uh, of illegal things that um, like it, it was the form of currency that was being exchanged along with, with the uh, everything. So like illegal things are shipped to. So, so it would go like this. DC sells this guy in Florida, uh, a bunch gives him a bunch of guns and tells him to get those guns to the Middle East. So he gets paid. So now he has to then um, send that to somebody else. So he hires another guy in uh, Florida. So the the guy in Florida is being hired. So he's getting his payment. Um, But in order, but he doesn't want to be paid in cash straight from the government. 
They can't do that. So he's getting paid by, say, drugs coming in from South America that goes because he's an illegal fella who has many illegal operations. So him getting um, drugs in through that way is a lot easier. And the people who are sending drugs into America, they're the people that are receiving money outside of America from the CIA. Because like the CIA and them sending money back and forth in South America, that's not as likely to get you in trouble as doing illegal trades inside America cash and all of that because that's more traceable so that's how the theory goes like not like certain players have been found in that sort of thing but that's the idea that it is one of the moving currencies in this illegal trade back and forth and the idea is this trade route has been found out by the people in the Middle East and they're trying to sabotage the uh, supply chain. And then in order to cover up their supply chain, which is illegal now since it's been shot down, there's a bunch of groups trying to cover up their illicit uh, thing. And that's how the U.S. government and the Bolivian government and the airlines and the cocaine folks are all working together <laughs> in this um, thing of, you know, trying to cover cover up the the explosion so if the the actual black box tapes were found that were recording the pilots in the cockpit which i believe were but i have no proof of but i just it makes most sense to me that they were and it goes something like this okay how's our descent going over there johnny oh we're passing 1000 uh, 19000 blah blah oh, bam what was that oh the back of the plane just exploded ah <laughs> If that's their conversation, they and you're the group that's like, um, try to make it hide the fact that we were attacked by people who were mad at us because we were doing illegal tradings in the Middle East. That is not a conversation you want to get out. <laughs> that that's um the first theory. That's uh, there's a a book written about that entire conspiracy theory. So that's like one of the more famous ones of what's going one on. One of the most popular theories. Yeah. So uh, I have Let's a few see. other theories. Do you have any theories, Eric? Eric? <laughs> I think none of them would be as good as the ones you're uh, <laughs> going to say. Okay. Well, uh, do you want to hear the Bigfoot one or the, the other one I have? <laughs> What's the other one, Intel? So uh, this one is more of it's uh, more airline-centered. So this one's more mob. So it has no um, – this one is just the mob is buying everyone pretty much. It's uh, – this one I look at, you know, the bare essentials. And I form uh, the conspiracy theory off of that is that you have the mob. They're transporting drugs through the airlines. The airlines in them are in cahoots. That is proven. I thought the mob owned the airlines. The uh, Eastern yeah. Airlines. Uh, that's that's then they were using it as a laundering money company. So the mob and the airlines are one. Their plane goes down. <laughs> Their Cayman skins are discovered. Their uh, nose candy is found. What do they do? So um, they're the the fellas who come and they're. Uh, I would imagine they would abandon it like a bad fart. <laughs> But they're also going to get real angry at anyone going up that mountain. And they're going to tell them, hey, you're not going to find anything at the top of the mountain. And then they get to the Bolivian government, which all the Bolivian, uh, South American, a lot of South American, I shouldn't say all of them. <laughs> a lot of South American um, uh, governments have a large amount of corruption in them. Hey, if you look at. Oh, yes. Most. Most democratically elected places, it's just rife with bribes and that sort of thing and corruption these days, it seems. And South yeah, America is, is, uh, is no different. 
and the mob is extremely powerful down there and they have a lot of money. And when it comes to who can have the most amount of corruption in the government, the mob is one of the biggest players because there's not a lot of other competing people in the money market down there when it comes to the big buck, the uh, drug companies run. Right. So you got the them. <laughs> The, the mob controlling the government, they can tell the uh, the Bolivians what they can and cannot do. They can tell the Red Cross what they can and cannot do. They can take away the Red Cross's gasoline and say, here's some Kool-Aid. Drink it or you are a part of the club. <laughs> do you think they could put pressure in the NCBS? NCSB? Yeah. They're Whatever a small um, U.S. group. And yeah, they, they most certainly have their... Because, you know, every mob likes to become a monopoly. All monopolies have two primary workbooks they go off of. One, you eliminate the competition. Two, you streamline the entire process. You don't have, you have as few partners as possible. Mm -hmm. So you don't just be in the distribution game. You be in the production game. You be in the um, wholesale group. You be in the uh, retailers. You're the whole chain from start to finish. So it's a vertical and horizontal monopoly, both. That That is the game of all mobs. Anyone who's any good at that knows that if you're going to be shipping drugs into the U.S., gotta have a little bit of sway on the landing party. So you're not going to have a little bit of that. You're not going to be spending, I don't know uh, how much, I don't know how exactly how much money is running inside of the South American cocaine mobsters, but it's the millions, okay? You're not doing a multi-million operation and going, well, let's hope that our stuff lands safely in America. <laughs> no, right. no, You go to America and you grease all the officials and you say, hey, you don't check this plane, you don't look under the seat, and you don't stop the van when it leaves at 9 o'clock after the plane lands. Okay? And everybody says yes and they turn their head. And the uh, NTBS is just another government group. And here's the thing about government groups. They're all in a line of uh, hierarchies, right? So what you do is you tell one fella who's, if you get high enough in the group, then you just tell that fella to put pressure on so-and-so and that person will put pr pressure on so-and-so. And the whole sure. thing becomes Domino it's a, it's a big, big web. And if you get one finger in a spider web, you can make the whole spider web sway back and forth. And you only have to have a small piece of it in your hand. So you can do a lot of things in order to make sure that the NTBS does not have the proper funding to launch a proper investigation in South America. Right, right. And if things seem to be going too smoothly, you just do something in the embassy and then you make the rocky relations between the U.S. and the Bolivia pretty bad. And then you make it so they don't want to uh, give uh, – clearance for the u.s to go ahead with their investigation because you just be a prick and say no we're going to sit on our uh privilege of we have first rights to investigate that stuff and no you cannot gridlock it you know that whole thing so that that's the most obvious theory and if you want to hear my final theory or if you want to put in uh, one of yours uh, you, you can do that if you want but do you want to hear my bigfoot let's go for it anything's possible bigfoot he's um well sometimes he feels a little sad and he needs a little picker upper and sometimes he just he needs a little something special and <laughs> and sometimes he'll go to great lengths to get a little bit of that special nose candy and if he figures out that it's 
flying past his cave in the mountains, sometimes he'll do uh, some things that he'll regret in the morning, get that plane down on his mountain if he needs it. And sometimes he'll do things like mess with uh, his alien technology to send to mess with the plane's computers to get the uh, plane to not know exactly which direction is north kind of mess with the bearings a little bit and that's not uh, you know not uh, too long before slam bam wham he's got a little delivery on his porch well then he feels a little regretful for what he did so uh he doesn't want people prodding around on his mountain so he lets them know hey don't come up my hill <laughs> mountain <Ugh. laughs> he's playing king of the hill here on his mountain and uh, yeah sometimes sometimes those aliens they uh, they need to they need to some of those humanly crafted uh, picker uppers. <laughs> yeah, you think Bigfoot likes some of that uh, well, party powder? Here's the thing. You know, all aliens are very interested in the psychedelics, right? And they they like the uh, the mind journeys because that helps them do the the probing. <laughs> well, it, it it's a tool, yeah, but it also that is something that helps them divide themselves and go into the 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 uh, you know when you, the the out of body things. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Where it helps separate the body from the mind. Confuse the masses. So, my theory is, yeah, Bigfoot he just needed that stuff and you know, sometimes sometimes you got to do stuff to get stuff done and if you have <laughs> to intimidate the US government and the Bolivian government and the Red Cross in order to get away with it, yeah, Bigfoot can do that he's a pretty intimidating guy he stands what 10 foot two some i suppose yeah so that about sums up a lot of my theories i don't really think you can go too much um that there's there's too awful much uh, in it i i don't know if assassination is is a very viable theory i kind of played around with that a little bit but i really can't think of a reason why in a, if it was a, in a simple assassination why there would be that so much of a cover-up right so whatever the, there was obviously a cover-up that's the whole main thing and what mm. exactly are they covering up there, there's two things they could be covering up the way that the plane went down or what was on the plane well if it was what was on the plane that part's out of the bag and it's just simply the mob mm. so it's either that or there's some crazy world affair going on out there <sighs> Where there's some oh, well, nations at clash with each other, shooting down each other's planes. I suppose we'll never know. I feel like this is one of those yeah. mysteries we're just not going to know about, you know? Yeah, it's kind of like Flight 370. I mean, I like my theory that it, <laughs> it got away and landed in Australia, but I really never know. That's the thing. Why are there so many mysterious cases about airliners going down or disappearing? So many of them. Yeah, it's it's kind of do you think it's, part of it is do you it's think it's big, because it's easy it, for it whoever is. needs to do something to get away with a plane? They can they can certainly do it. Well, there's there's many different factors. One, it's the fastest transportation we have, uh, so that but you think because it's so massive, though, you would think that we 
we would be able to find something, right? And also so heavily monitored and recorded. Boggles the mind sometimes. What do you, what's your favorite theory here? The mobs? Uh, well, that one's, no, it would be, it would be the first. It would be the, um, the, the Ronald Reagan tie-in. And, and the reason for that is just the mob tie-in. It, it kind of vanilla. You, you think it's too obvious to be that? It's not that it's too obvious. I think that one's probably the most likely, the, the real case that happened. But that one doesn't cover two particular things. First, it doesn't explain why the bodies are gone. And two, it doesn't say why the plane crashed. And those are, I think, the the main the biggest most, mysteries. Yeah. No, no, no those, those aren't the the most. Those aren't the biggest. Those are the most important. There's there's bigger evidence that there is something at work. The way that the governments do the cover up, I think that's the biggest evidence. But I think the most important factors are what happened to the people, because really, at the end of the day, that's the real tragedy. Right. Right. It's the missing people. Yeah. Well, what happened to them? What about the families? I mean, that was the, the reason why there were so many people that were interested in the crash loan is because there was so much unclosure about people just disappearing. That is like the worst thing it, in a way that's worse than dying. It's like they died. You're pretty sure they're dead, but you don't know. There's just so much unknown. And how do you have closure with the unknown? So that that's the next that, that's the biggest one there. And then why? How can we make sure this never happens again? So why did the plane crash? And where did the people go? Those are the those are the biggest questions for me. I mean, government being corrupt. That's like that's every day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's no biggie. Mob being corrupt. That's, that's, no that's biggie. definitely the no. wars happening. That those always go on. But so th- those are. Neither the main interest to me, the main interest to me is the missing people and the mystery of why this plane went down. Let me ask you something before we end the podcast. Do you think at least one person is still alive from this plane? No, I don't. You think they're all dead? I do. I, I don't think you can take a plane down like that without there being a lot of casualties. Uh, and if there are survivors, I really don't think there was anyone there except maybe Bigfoot. And he doesn't take survivors too well. <laughs> Um, and if there wasn't anyone there to help survivors, you don't live long on a mountain. Hey, I said mountain. You <laughs> did it. it. <laughs> Just in time for the ending. Well, uh, it, well, hey, we would love to hear your theories about this. And if you want to send that to us, you can do it on our email. It's bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. That's one word, bizarreconspiracies at gmail.com. And yeah, I had fun with this. I had fun with this topic. It frustrated the snot out of me. Yeah. Uh, most aviation mysteries yeah. are, are pretty... Uh, I, this one's a little different than uh, 370 for me because like part of it is... It, it, I think it's just as a mystery as um, 370, but... It's just so frustrating, governments and all that. Hey, can can you just put together one? It's not that hard. Ah, ah, but I guess it is hard when you're the government. Doing nothing is the most expensive thing that one of the most expensive things the government does. It, <laughs> yes. Ah, but that's that's a story for another time. How the government, American politics. How how the government spends so much money and does so little. Ah. 
But that's a rant for another day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I suppose that will conclude today's episode, so thank you for listening to Bizarre Conspiracies. You know, I haven't said this in a while. Final final thoughts, Connor? Before you ever get on an airplane, make sure that you do everything necessary to make sure that if that plane never comes down on its wheels, done everything that needs to be done to give everyone else closure. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll catch you next time on Bizarre also, Conspiracies. Also, maybe keep your own personal black box in your shirt like i don't know if that's possible be like having a little thing that on your phone that like cords exactly where you are at all times and that sort of thing you'd be like so another tracking device i don't know is that possible like that's something it's that possible. I've, I've i've done like the reverse of like how to make sure i'm not i've <laughs> never done the thing of how to make sure that people can pinpoint my location in the past i think that would only apply if you were like on a on a boat cruise or a plane so speaking it, of which there have been to, plenty uh, of uh, cruises that have gone missing too. We should get into that. I think we've covered like a few missing cruises that happened in the Pacific, but that was just like fleeting mention in the uh, Titanic. Not Titanic, but the uh, Titanic Sisters <laughs> uh, episode. Have we done a Titanic episode? I don't think we have. But I mean, everybody knows the story. It's kind of played out. Well, yeah. Thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Yeah.